In partnership with Paizo, the No Direction Network welcomes you to our Gen Con online seminar coverage. And we're back. Welcome to another Gen Con 2020 Behind the Panels, uh, Behind the Pages panel, where members of the No Direction Network get to speak with Paizo staff about the major releases, past, present, and future they've been working on. From the No Direction Network, I'm Ryan Costello. I'm joined by... Jameson J. Thacker, also known as Param. And our guest today is also from the No Direction Network, but more importantly in this context, from Paizo, developer Luis Loza. Hello, Luis. Hi there. Happy belated birthday. Happy belated birthday to you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> happy Gen Con, happy gaming. It is a happy Gen Con so far. So uh, you're best known for the Lost Omens line, but why don't you let people know who who might not be as familiar with the lost omens line as they are with you know pathfinder as a whole what is the line that you work on what is it you do for that line sure as you mentioned i'm luis loza i am a developer for the pathfinder lost omens line lost omens line is basically our big setting books that include material on galarian the, the world of the age of lost omens our big setting main setting for pathfinder and includes things like uh information on your ancestries, the settings, the, it includes new rules, options for all that stuff. It fleshes out the world, both through flavor and through mechanics. I really have been enjoying what you've been doing with the Lost Omens line since uh, second editions launched. The first book was the campaign setting book, which is what I think people would expect. And since then, you've gotten very experimental and very different with the kind of content that you're putting into these books. Yeah. Not to dissell, not to undersell the campaign setting book. That might have been the best I've seen the campaign setting presented, even if it's like literally half the pages of the other attempts to do so. We tried hard to cram all of that into half the space. So thank you for that. So who ultimately gets to decide what goes into the various Lost Omen books? Uh, I mean, ultimately, it's myself and Eleanor, the other developer on the Lost Omen line. Uh, but in terms of figuring out what the books are in the first place, it's a big collaboration between everyone in the editorial part of the company. So all the editors and other developers and designers and stuff, we all come together and present the ideas that we want to put forth in books and then work on filtering those down into the proper book that we want. So it might start with someone like me or Eleanor saying, hey, we want a book that talks all about the uh, uh, deities of, of the, the world, let's work from there. And then we all decide, you know, what kind of material do we want to present? What deities do we want to present? We had a big meeting where we all presented our top 10 deities and used that to kind of decide ultimately who got the bigger write-ups in that book. Uh, and then what kind of other material we want to do. And also think forward to what kind of stuff we want to include or not include based on what might be coming in the future. The gods and Magic book for Lost Omens featured dozens of gods and they provide you access to certain spells when you worship them as a cleric. And some of these spells specifically had a little super skip that said, oh, this spell is in the APG because we knew in advance, we wanna throw something like Mad Monkeys or Aqueous oh my gosh, uh, out into the world. But if we put into the APG, it'll you know get a lot more eyes on it and, that's one of those spells that were very famous in first edition and they, they very much deserve that spot in the APG alongside some of the other cool spells. Not to say that the spells in, in God and Magic aren't good, but it's a hope, high profile spell. So we know that's going to go in there and let's plan for that accordingly. We were now, talking with Mark Seichter about Mad Monkeys and how I had... Okay, Ryan, we need... Uh, we got a little bit of... Uh, you're down to uh, a odd, odd, odd voice transformation at the moment. Jeez. Uh, a lot more volume and a lot less uh, evil mastermind. All right. Well, evil mastermind, I only have so much control over. How's my volume? Uh, we're, you're back to good volume, and uh, it looks like uh, we're definitely going to have some, uh, some supervillain joining us for the rest of the interview. But, Luis, yeah. speaking of how things are totally uh, interesting here with the how you all decided it, Lost Omens Legends actually is a pretty interesting departure from what we've seen presented for the campaign setting really up until it launched. Uh, there, there was actually very publicly stated that 
these like these focus on some of the big movers and shakers and and more powerful characters for Galarian was something that Puzzle was looking to avoid for a while. Um, so how did that decision to make that book happen come about? Well, uh, I think it first started with the realization that in keeping the spotlight off some of these characters, they had reached a point now, some of them over 10 years in, in the settings history uh, and, and the game's history. We don't know what they do beyond, oh, there's, there's Tarbafan, he's an evil bad lich he's done some bad stuff cool and then we don't really focus on him beyond that uh and that was a disservice to a lot of our our interesting characters that are in the setting we want people to to glom onto these characters the same way that they would from any other fictional setting uh be they in in, in an rpg or or otherwise just there are those characters that, that you remember from the setting if, if we don't talk about them you won't learn about them and you won't get to remember them and, and stuff like that. So with that idea in mind, we then looked at existing material in previous games and in Pathfinder history about how do we talk about these characters? And we landed on the idea uh, inspired by some uh, older books uh, that maybe we don't just present an encyclopedia of NPCs. We present a, a, a living book with, with, stories and, and letters and, and and just representations from in the in the setting as to how people see these characters how they communicate with each other and make it a lot more of an interesting read than just a, another dry examination of each individual character i mean that definitely was one of the strongest selling points of that book and i mean not that i you know wasn't interested in getting more awesome galarian content but i sure as heck did not expect what uh, was delivered when our advanced copies of that came in um the, the 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 like we just i just mentioned it on uh the last panel even like the hobgoblin like sketches and in character stuff uh Jatambe's entry just being like multiple different levels of storytelling stacked up on top of each other and all of that being references to past artwork that's existed for these characters uh, was it a difficult sale to go this experimental with this book I think there was a, a bit of wariness of you know are we going to be able to pull this off uh, I remember Eric Mona at one point kind of he's like, are, are you sure you want to give this a try? We, we're definitely willing to, to give this a go. But, you know, the, it, it can be a lot of hard work wrangling all this and making it all work. And Eleanor said, and I said, no, let, let's give it a try. And he, he just, you know, gave us his blessing and we went forward with it. And I think it would have been uh, pretty difficult to just kind of build this from scratch. But we had such amazing authors and then such amazing art come in to complement all of this stuff that it just kind of fell into place on its own and uh, was, I feel, relatively easy. I mean, there's still a lot of work putting all the, the connections together, but it was never like uh, a chore to have to read through all of these entries and, and pick out the connections and see how they're, they're all, all working together. So first of all, how do I sound? A little bit more normal. A bit normal, normal. Fine. All right. I'll, uh, I'll accept it. Koro7600 in chat says, why not cover these awesome characters' stories in the hopefully returning Pathfinder Tales, which is plus one from Tired Taurus uh. 13. But I think they're kind of looking at it backwards. Yeah. While we don't have Pathfinder Tales or a new Pathfinder comic, we've got Path Lost Omens Legends. Yeah, some of my favorite uh, setting material produced in, 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 in the past were like things like the Volos guides and stuff. This experimental approach to uh, presenting things, this more in-character, uh, is to me as a GM, much more valuable because it'll help me more easily portray what the world is like to my players than yet another encyclopedia Britannica, or I guess Galerania? I don't know how to say that. <laughs> but approach to it, and I'm hopeful, like, is this something we're going to see more of in the future? Because please sign me up. Yeah, and there's another big benefit of putting it in a, a setting book like this compared to the Tales line, where with the Tales books, they're, they're novels, and they come with cool cover art and sometimes a map or two in there. But beyond that, we don't get to show you what these characters look like in, in, the, in the novels. We don't get to give you things like cool images that can work as handouts for your game. And we can't really give you new rules options in there 
like we can with this book because of you know all the demands of the OGL and all this stuff. Uh, and this is with doing this, we, we can then make it something that connects directly into the game mechanics in addition to fleshing out the setting. One thing that I'm realizing around now at a physical Gen Con, we'd be talking about how these books have already sold out. <laughs> well, that's the hope. So if maybe uh, so no one makes us liars, go ahead and buy that book so we can sell it out. Did you? <laughs> well, I mean, there is that like 20% off coupon y'all are running with the Gen yes. Con 2020 right now. So uh, definitely take, uh, uh, take, uh, advantage of that right now if you all can that's the closest we're going to get to standing in line at the Pazo booth um th then we're that we're going to get this year um yeah i mean buy the, not the buy the book and hold on to it so then you can come find us at a con once we can con again and then i'll sign it for you like i would at gen con nice right. <laughs> oh man what is some of the feedback you've gotten for lost omens legends i uh, for the most part, it's been just positive across the board. There was uh, one or two people that are like, I wish they could have just been more rules in it. That's a fair criticism. I mean, people love their rules, but we felt that the fact that it was releasing alongside the APG, it was probably okay that it didn't have as many rules because you're getting so many with that book. You come here to have interesting stories and, and, and adventure hooks for a bit with a, a couple of rules, but your big rule book, it's APG. Go get those if you want some rules, too. Mm -hmm. Now, it looks like uh, people definitely are liking a lot of the rule book options. How did you pick, like, what was going to be the flavor of the uh, the crunch that you brought in here? Like, we, you know, Baba Yaga, which patron is, is super loved, obviously. <laughs> uh, there were some other ones in there. Um, like, how do you pick what, when you're going this uh this varied with the presentation like where do you pick the rules that match that i think the first thing that we did was see what inspired us based on just the character itself we when we were narrowing it narrowing down the list of which npcs to include some of them just immediately popped up as obviously like oh abigail thune if we feature her we can get infernal contracts we feature old <laughs> Tembe, we can get new magic and things like that so the, the very obvious ones left up at us and then from there um it was a, a bit of work going back and forth and deciding who earned the, the spot where it would present some some new rules options some of them uh they're characters that haven't existed or, or, or they they've they've been dead for for a long time uh for example king target the, the the dwarven king who led them through the, the quest for sky he's been gone for a long time does he really still have stuff around that isn't just like his old scabbard that is now just legendary as a relic but doesn't give you any cool mechanical options we want people who are actively out in the world that can give you things right now and influence you jatembe he might not be around but his magic is still kept within the magambia and if you become a member of the magambia and get to the right ranking within it then you can go into the archives that hold his magic and and learn that rather than have to speak with him directly Now, we have seems... a comment from someone in the chat who says they are translating Lost Omens Legends into German. So I don't know if they are officially localizing it or if they were just doing that as a favor to their German friends. But that's from uh, uh, Signa Voho. Yeah, I think I've seen uh, a tweet or two saying that you know, they're with the local localization team and they're, they're loving it, but they're also upset that they had to break up the book and hand it off to some of the other translators because they couldn't do the <laughs> book on their own. Which is a good problem to have, I guess, that you want to read all of it, but you just don't have the time while you're working on it. Now, does does the varied approach you took with this present uh, specific challenges to getting it localized compared to uh, the more uh, traditional format we're used to seeing role-playing books written? Uh, I don't think it would have much in terms of, of just straight translation in terms of any kind of issues. Uh, it, it is a book where because there's so many connections in it, it could be possible that one of those connections gets dropped along the way. But we, we tried our best by adding the extra little sidebar that tells you mm -hmm. everyone that we've mentioned in that section and then having the webs of connections in the back, things like that to try to help out with that. I think the, the, the most difficult thing might just be uh, getting the, the voice across in, in, in such a way that, that works in, in uh, a new language because a lot of these characters a lot of these writings are in very particular voices they have uh, lots of personality to them and keeping that intact would probably be the most difficult challenge 
Now, what about the opposite side of that coin? Uh, you all have continued, and especially since second edition, uh, to expand the, the cultural influences and representation in the, the campaign setting. How have your localizers uh, responded to that? I, I mean, I haven't heard any, any negatives on that. I'm sure <laughs> everyone is, is uh, enjoying getting to see just more of the world and, and, and the different people involved. The, we have localization teams in so many parts of the world mm -hmm. that I'm sure everyone finds something that they can enjoy in particular to see now through, through what we, we're, we're, we keep trying to expand the world a bit more and, and, and show the different cultures and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm hoping that our, our localizers and, and fans around the world are appreciating that too. I really like that chart that you included in the back, the mm -hmm. connections between all of the different NPCs. Not only does that just feel like this is a way that I can use these this book in different ways in my campaign, yeah. it also inspires other campaigns, just seeing that these are connections and then you go and you read about it and it's like, oh wow, this world is so interconnected. Yeah, and we are also hoping that uh, it inspires you to find the connections that you like between the characters and make your own little web. These are not the only connections that exist out there. These aren't the only plots that exist within the book. There are so many scattered throughout there that we kind of show you how to do it and leave it up to you to connect the ones that you think are, are, are cool for your campaigns. Now that does uh, make me wonder, like one of the early, uh, the very, very early, and I think ill-informed criticisms of Galarian was that it was, you know, yet another kitchen sink setting. But really, I think you all have been doing like a almost unheard of job of cross meshing all these cultures together. Like, what is that like when you're trying to present this campaign setting, especially now that it's expanded so far into a new edition of getting all these massively different cultures, like meshing and seeming like it's still one coherent world? Well, we take a lot of inspiration from the massive countless cultures in the real world and seeing how they exist together. Uh, it, it is definitely hard to, to keep track of, <laughs> of so many things like that. But with the, the fact that we brought in a, a variety of different authors, we had lots of different perspectives that they could offer both for their given sections and offer with each other to say, hey, I think this is how this person would communicate with this other person from a different culture and, and expanding our, our freelance base, our, our, our development base, our, our, our editor pool to just have lots of different viewpoints and, and, and backgrounds just, I think, does a lot of work in, in helping make that feel more cohesive and, and, and uh, like a, a proper living world that we want it to feel like. Is there an example of like something that you've been able to do because you have all of this like various inspiration and source material that wouldn't have been uh, even possible if you focused on just one of them? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, the fact that Eleanor herself is got a major in, in uh, Asian history studies, I think is what it is and can bring in feelings from what she knows personally in, in her uh, academic uh, history and put that into something like Hao Jin and explain you know just how how she might work how she might dress and things like that L little things like that add up to a lot i think and then um having authors of of various backgrounds they also bring in uh comments and things all the time that says hey actually when in, in this culture they they would you know worry about this or, or, or do things this other way and we can then apply that based on on that and you know confirm with them okay cool this this now feels more real more natural because of, of the help of, of what they brought in yeah i told you this before but this book taught me more about galarian and the, the pathfinder campaign setting than reading any other pathfinder material just because it's so contextual and you're mm -hmm. seeing things from the individual's eyes so you're you're not just being told this is what this culture is like. You are seeing someone from that culture yeah. acting out that culture's behavior and even reflecting on the other cultures and how some of their behavior is strange to them. Yeah. yeah. And like, there's like a, a piece of art that you all have really uh, promoted around that I'm sure that the audience can find uh, that really represents this. It's, I think it's even on the back cover, which is, you know, Baba Yaga having like a lunch conversation with Jatumbe in what is some seedy dockside tavern. And the fact that seeing that picture just doesn't seem out of place at all for how we recognize what the, the flavor of this world is 
really shows like how blended uh, and rich the setting can be. There's only so many immortals that the other immortals can relate to. So even if they have nothing else in common, you can sit down and have tea and just talk immortality. I think they have a lot in common, though, if you really like read all the stories between the two of them. Yeah. I mean, they're all really long-lived magic users um, who, in some their own unique ways, want the, the people of the world to be better. One, because he, he wants you know the best of everyone and the other one because she doesn't want any anyone to bug her anymore so just be better and leave me alone this isn't normally brought out in jatambe's <laughs> characterization but both of them are chicken enthusiasts yep <laughs> also like i love how like with baba yaga and jatambe and some of your other like really powerful magic characters the parts that are really impressive with them aren't the flexing of their magical might it's their cleverness in problem solving and and in a lot of cases even trickery that really shows like their their true potential and baba yaga loves 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 her trickery yeah for sure there was also something that uh in previous uh books that i've read where the subject is something that's generally supposed to be kind of mysterious mm -hmm. they take the mystery away but the baba yaga chapter is an entire it's it's a it's a, it's a, it's a story it's written in prose yeah. and by the end of it you're as confused about what Baba Yaga is all about <laughs> as ever, but more invested. Yeah, that, that's another benefit of, of the format here. Rather than give you an encyclopedic breakdown of here's what they do. Oh, here's how they got their power and here's how they're using it. That kind of does just reveal everything. When we can tease it out through stories or, or hints or, or, or artwork like that, it is both interesting in that you get an idea of, oh, well, Baba Yaga sure gets tired of people asking her for power. So this is why she does these ridiculous mm -hmm. tasks for them. But uh, is that really the reason or is there something more? We, we don't exactly tell you. You can figure that out on your own or decide on your own based on just these stories. And maybe Baba Yaga in your game just wants someone to help her out without asking for anything for once, but it's not the kind of person to say it. And you can maybe suss that out through your interpretation of the tales. So I think we're ready to move on to just uh, talking about the Lost Omens line broader. And there's actually one specific book that's been brought up a couple of times that I'll just double check how involved you are with it. But uh, is there any last thing you want to say about the Lost Omens Legends before we move on? Uh, I think everyone should take some time to check it out. APG is great and it's going to be uh, awesome. And between building a character, maybe take an, uh, a moment to read one of the entries in that book and, and get to mm -hmm. learn to love uh, Galarian as well. Actually, yeah, comparing it to the APG and contrasting it, these two books are very different. Yeah. And both <laughs> succeed extremely well at what they are trying to do. I don't know which one I love more, honestly, because they're both so great. I guess that means we're doing our job. <laughs> Astrayu has a really good question uh, that can help transition us. It's sure. like, how much weight is given to writing material for the yet unexplored regions of the world versus revisiting already published reasons that have changed so much in the transition, such as Iabaria versus Next versus Mendev? Uh, I mean, part of that is influenced a bit by material in the future, Adventure Pass and things like that. We do try to at least consider if there's an Adventure Path in a specific spot, maybe we want to supplement that in some way. I don't think we're necessarily going to take the same approach as in, we did in, in first edition where, okay, Here's an AP and Chelyax. We got to have a Chelyax book next for that. And now here's an AP over here. We got to do an, uh, a book for that. Sometimes it might just be, hey, we're doing an Absalom book. We have an entry for Winslow Starborn and and uh, uh, Lord Watcher Ulthun the Second in Legends, which are two figures that are prominent in Absalom. You can use those as, as you need, but this isn't an Absalom book. There happens to be an Absalom book that we're working to finish up on. But in the future, we, we now have a bunch of characters that we can draw upon for, for inspiration for APs and stuff without having to have uh, a full-on Irison book to have just Baba Yaga in it. No, we have legends and, and things like that. So when we, we can seed in ideas for the future or, or, or connections to future stuff, we can, but we're not, I don't think, beholden to anything like that. Uh, and as for thinking about what's come before what we haven't explored yet i think it's just a good mix of both what do we feel has covered has been covered enough something like varicia it's pretty well covered with five ap's worth of content and several <laughs> campaign setting books and, and player companions it's probably okay if we don't go back to varicia immediately but something like 
the Mwangi Expanse or the World Wound or, or uh, even right next to Verusia, New Sassalon, those are brand new changes and, and maybe we will be getting to something like that sooner than, than later because it's such a drastic difference and there's no one e-book, one e-guide to New Sassalon that you can go read to you know, catch yourself up. So you know, maybe we need to bring, uh, a, may, it, it feels like more of a focus on newer stuff when we can, but also going back when it makes sense. So tying into that, here's a couple of questions that also relate to each other, but one is very specific and one is much broader. Coro7600 says, what parts of Galarian's culture are you most looking forward to covering in the future of the Lost Woman's Line? And Brian273 asks, any chance of exploring the setting under the oceans? Um, I, I think I personally am very excited to explore uh, just off the map a little bit, even if it isn't immediately to another continent going east a little bit to something like Ayabaria or to the, the Empire, more of the Empires of Kalesh would be interesting. Further south, further south into Garoon would be interesting. Uh, I, in terms of if I had my druthers, it would definitely be, let's turn the globe 180 degrees, land in Arcadia and see what we can find there. <laughs> uh, but there's, there's a lot of people that, you know, that, that these books serve for and it can't all just be my book every time. Uh, and as for going under the sea, I think there, there's definite possibilities of doing that. One of the meta regions we presented in the world guide is the high seas region, which is for the most part, there's a big ocean. It turns out there's a lot of things <laughs> living under it. We could definitely showcase that as part of a, a high seas or high seas uh, adjacent book. Luis, there's a lot of things I respect about you, but probably most of all is that you haven't gone mad with power. <laughs> I I think Eleanor keeps me in check. Uh, or or maybe it's some kind of weird, like mutually assured destruction thing where the moment I try to do Arcadia, she tries to do Tiansha and then we just ah it, it becomes a mess. Wow, that is a Has mess she... I would be very interested in. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Uh, can we can we encourage you both to go mad with power? <laughs> hmm. Maybe that's the way to do it. <laughs> Now, of course, this isn't the only book uh, that has been really talked about at the uh, convention this year. Uh, one that is upcoming that we are getting teased about a lot is the Ancestry Guide. What yes. can? How is that going to be presented newer than we've seen other, uh, you know, race guides in the past? Well, if you know something like the One E Advanced Race Guide, it very much was a basic breakdown of physical features and and social uh, social um webs and, and stuff like that but it didn't really go much into cultures because we weren't talking about galarian and how these ancestries fit in the world the ancestry guide you probably already have a feel of what this is going to look like based on what you've seen in the lost omens character guide when looking through that book you read about the dwarves, you read about the elves, and we talk about specific cultures, we talk about ethnicities among them, we talk about their ways of life on Galarian specifically, rather than just, oh, these are dwarves, they live in mountains. You kind of know that from most any game. It's, hey, these are dwarves, they break up into different elevations for their, their ethnicities and, and stuff like that. Suddenly there's a, a new Galarian twist on, on all of these. And we're gonna be doing the same thing with all of our non-core ancestries in the ancestry guide. So we're going to give you the full breakdown of uh, how orcs are, it turns out a lot of them have a nocturnal lifestyle. So when they, when other people come to meet them during the day, they are kind of upset and, and grumpy, partially because you've interrupted their, their sleep cycle. Uh, and that might attribute to, to uh, why a lot of orcs are, are seen as, as angry. And we also talk about orcs in different parts of the world, the world, the orcs of Elks in our uh, living lifestyles that are different from the orcs in the Mwangi Expanse, where life isn't as harsh and you don't need to be uh, as brutal all the time to stay alive. And giving different perspectives on, on all of these ancestries and, and giving them, again, that Galarian twist, that Galarian flavor that you can't find anywhere else is really what we're trying to shoot for. So now you can learn about the different types of cobalt tribes and how the different types uh, hobgoblins have developed around Galarian and stuff like that. I am really impressed with how much focus there has been on ancestries in second edition because it went from you only needed like half a panel 
in first edition to write up the rules for using uh, what was then called a race. Yeah. So like the bestiary could introduce some uh, playable uh, races, some ancestries. Second edition, you need a, a section of a chapter. You need five to 10 pages. So the fact that we've got so many ancestries so quickly is not something I expected at all. Well, I think a part of that is also just if you're coming in from first edition, you probably have a favorite ancestry or a favorite character that you might try to replicate that you can't just yet. And we wanna make sure we get people up to speed as best as we can without also just rehashing everything, which is why the ancestry guide is bringing in new things like uh, the, the pixie ancestry to, to try a brand new thing with it as well. So uh, at first you mentioned that there was going to be a lot of uh, coverage of the ancestries already exist, but the pixie is not one of them. What are some of the new ancestries that are gonna be introduced in the ancestry guide? Uh, so we talked about pixies a bit. Uh, pixies are something you can find in our vestiaries right now. You can find uh, uh, grigs and, and pixies and sprites uh, in there. Uh, sorry, the ancestry is a sprite. Pixie is a heritage within the, the sprite ancestry. Uh, and in addition to those, you can play uh, some of the old favorites that we're bringing back, like the kitsune that we're bringing back here. And uh, we're bringing back uh, in the form of versatile heritage is what we call the genie kin. So the people who are uh, descended from genies or, or other elemental uh, creatures from the, the elemental plane. So the Ifrits, Oread, Suli, uh, and, and things like that are, are coming back here as, like I mentioned, versatile heritage that you can tack on anywhere. So you know you can be a, a, a rock kobold or a fire catfolk and things like that and kind of play a living Pokemon. <laughs> um, and uh, in addition, we are bringing in another a new one that I think we announced last time, which was the Flesh Warp, which are just kind of gross changed people that have changed so dramatically that they're not their previous ancestry anymore. They're a whole brand new thing. So you can be someone who is from the mana waste and has been mutated by the magic and, and, and all, all the stuff going on there. And you are a mutant flesh warp and you have different abilities where you can potentially grow like a tail or claws or, or different uh, uh, natural uh, weapons that you can attack with and change them out as you need. And that is just, you could be a mutant that happened to be a dwarf before you change or an elf before you change. But from now on, you are just a full on mutant. You have a completely different list of, of ancestry feats that you can take. You don't get dwarf stuff anymore. You just get only mutant and flesh dwarf stuff. The hidden twig says pixies need an ancestry feat called, hey, listen. <laughs> <laughs> so, so which one are the grasshopper fairies? Those are the, the Griggs. Okay, tell us about Griggs, please, because ever since I saw it, it looked so awesome. Uh, Griggs are kind of like crickets uh, in, in a way. They, um, so the way the sprites work, and th this is uh, Mark Seifter's work. Uh, he, he wrote this section partially because he wanted to, to take the first stab at, at giving you a playable tiny ancestry and what that all comes with. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the whole thing about sprites is that they are normally from the first world. And they, they, they're made from the, the power of souls, soul stuff that can then grow into Sprite. But sometimes that power leaks into the material plane and you have kind of mortal Sprites, not necessarily tied to the, the first world in the same way. And these are the player character ones that you're going to be seeing in this, uh, this book. And these characters over time start to grow more heroic and grow wings and stuff like that. Uh, and as you play, you'll be able to take some of this, this, uh, these cool ancestry feats that give you uh, wings and whatnot. But as for the, uh, the Griggs themselves, I've been actually talking about the sprites a little bit to pull it mm -hmm. up on my screen so I could remember exactly the whole <laughs> details on them. Um, the, the Grig itself, they like music, they like art, they can jump really well. So the, the Grig heritage will, will let you kind of combine all of those ideas together and gives you bonuses to, to high jump and long jump and gives you ghost sound as a cantrip just for being a, a Grig to kind of play into, hey, you mess around a lot with sound and music and use your cool legs to jump around. Now, they're also small, not... centaurs. <laughs> uh, they are, all the sprites are, all the heritages are tiny, save for the pixie, which is actually a small... The, the benefit of being a pixie oh. is you are small, so you don't have to worry about reach or anything. 
you're just as big as a halfling or anything and you don't have to take the special feat that lets you jump up high enough to open a cookie jar uh, in, <laughs> in one action without needing to climb up on it and stuff you're so, small but you're a giant among fairies exactly <laughs> speaking of the sprites do any of them have a fly speed immediately no, none of them have a fly speed immediately. That, that's kind of the flavor that Mark built into them is the ones that show up in the material plane just don't have the potential to grow wings just yet. Mm. And that potential is represented in the ancestry feats that you can take on uh, as, as, a, as a sprite. So at first level, there's a first level ancestry feat that lets you um, grow some wings that let you move around in, in ways that other sprites can't and get up to a cookie jar like I was explaining that's that that very feat mm -hmm. and over time you can improve your your the power of your wings and eventually just have full-on wings that are on at all times and can fly at all times but that is a, a much higher level ancestry feat man how upset must first world creatures be not only do they have to feel like the second draft is the one that got it and they're the ones that got rejected but they show up they lose their ability to fly like this was the better world yeah i guess you you have either have to deal with big cookie jars or <laughs> immortal life like it's it is a, a, a kind of a weird wash between the two but on the plus side cookies cookies yeah they, no mm -hmm. one there's no one baking cookies in the first world so it, there aren't like, oh. aren't there speaking of baking the baker's what the brownies get up asks. to they don't <laughs> so the baker is coming for you asks could we see a triton ancestry yeah, we, we definitely could see something like that. We, uh, in the uh, Lost Omens, Abs the, the Guide to Absalom uh, that we're, we're coming out with, that features already one of our uh, water-based ancestries, the, the uh, Azerketi, which is the in-setting name for Gilman, as you might know them. Uh, so we already have the, the foundational mechanics there to, to give you something like that. So I think Triton wouldn't be anything that's uh, out of the ordinary in terms of a potential ancestry for the future now can you remind I've, us when and go ahead Barb. so with galarian and we've we've seen some trends with like with some fantasy and speculative fiction to sort of like pair back the amount of uh individual actual species or ancestries uh that are involved in it or and and, and you know all human even has been a trend that we've seen a lot in some fantasy fiction uh, but with Galarian, not only are there like a whole bunch of deities and ancestries and, and cultures, like how do you think that, how has that influenced how you all are designing this world and presenting it where there are literally hundreds of different sentient types of folk running around? I think with the, the, the change to how the ancestries work compared to how they played in first edition, we suddenly have a bigger pool that we can tap from mm -hmm. in first edition giving you something like a playable sprite would require us to basically trim it down to such a degree that you're just a tiny character and don't really have much else uh, at least based on the initial uh, traits that you would take but with building in things like flight into ancestry feats we can slowly develop these ancestors over time in such a way that we know it won't absolutely ruin the game because everyone can fly at first level or because everyone is large all the time and things like that so i think we get a bigger sandbox to play with in terms of what ancestries we can pick from and we can start looking at at, at different uh, uh creatures in in pathfinder's history that we maybe wouldn't have considered uh, as a playable ancestry or didn't have the means to properly give that out the lizard folk <clears throat> is something that we've wanted to have as playable for a long time we didn't really mm -hmm. get to that in first edition but when we get to second edition we can then build that out in such a way that it, it's a lot easier to work with because we don't have to worry about oh well it had racial hit dice and this and that and we have to worry about all uh, all of the mechanics and balancing no we can just give you a specific version that works for players now Another question I had, since you brought up the lizard folk, is we're definitely seeing a lot more unique names for some of these more familiar names for these ancestries. How were some of those come up with? Like, how did you come up with the lizard folk one or, or some of the others that we're going to see? A good number of those came from James Jacobs. Uh, it turns out that he's been doing this thing where the ancestries have their own name for themselves in his own setting for a long time. And he's kind enough to bring those into galarian 
and, and into Pathfinder. So he gave us the name of Rootsy. I think Amarun was his name. A lot of these names uh, came from him. And the rest, I think we just kind of come up with on our own as we need. Azarketi was something that Eleanor and I put together for mm -hmm. uh, the, the Gilman as we were working on the, uh, I think the World Guide actually, because they get mentioned once or twice. And it, to us, didn't make sense that they would all refer to themselves as Gilman, uh, partially because it, it, it's a weird name when you think about it, but also because of the, it's a gendered name. So we wanted to, to break away from that a little bit. So it comes up as we need it. And sometimes it might be a freelancer who, who provides a name. Sometimes it might be us who provides a name in advance, or sometimes Jake Jacobs just has it already and say, hey, you should just go with this name. As Riku, uh, sorry, as Akiru in mm -hmm. chat is saying, come on, give us a new ancestry announcement, Luis, which my understanding is that these behind the pages segments will not be about news, but it will be about your opportunity to ask questions and uh, the designer's opportunity to flesh out the news that's been announced. But you could surprise us, Luis. Is there any news uh, you're announcing? I will not announce a new ancestry, but maybe I'll give you one or two more heritages uh, for the ones that we've already announced. Mm. Brad, so that way... It's a it's a little tease, not not too okay. much. Okay. So, so what's one you really wanted to get out there and get people hot for then? Oh boy, uh, this is mm -hmm. asking a lot. Um, I'm a big fan of what we're doing with Kitsune right now. Oh, uh, James Case uh, wrote that section, and he provided a lot of stuff that was based on the existing mythology of Kitsune. Uh, I think he might have also been in Japan or. or or something like that when we assigned this section to him as well. As was when With he the Tengu, the right? Tengu. He, yeah, yeah, so he was just in the right spot for this. Um, so we have Kitsuna that are based on, you know, mythology where they're tied to divine power, which is our celestial envoy Kitsune, that lets you basically call on to your divine birthright and, and give you a bonus to, to uh, saving throws and stuff. Or you could be... Uh, a kitsune which is this is a, actually a new one that isn't necessarily based on mythology but you are maybe based out of uh snowy regions and you have a, a, a resistance resistance to cold and stuff like that so th there are ones that we pull on mythology some that are brand new um i think a, a really interesting one is the uh dark fields kitsune where there's something about you that's kind of unnerving and you kind of lean into that and can take advantage of fear whenever um, someone else with uh, within about 60 feet or so of you uh, becomes frightened, you kind of become invigorated by that. And then as a reaction, <laughs> gain some temporary hit points uh, to uh, keep you going because yes, aha, I get to take advantage of this, this enemy sphere and, and, and use that to, to keep me going. Uh, Relkin wants to know if the Kitsune are getting their magic tails back. Yes, magic tales are coming back. Uh, it's not going to be nine different feats like it was in first edition <laughs> because uh, you don't get nine ancestry feats in, in 20 levels of play. So we, we've come up with a different way that I think uh, James and I worked out how to possibly hand that out. And then James uh, then took it from there and, and made it work great for the uh, Kitsuna ancestry feats. But there there is a way that can get you all nine feats if you are all nine tales if you want to take all of these feats and if you don't want all those tails, don't take those feats, but, or you can mm -hmm. even take the, the feats and just say, I still have just one tail. Hmm. Well, now I don't suppose there's any tiny little, little Kitsune that hides in pipes then. Uh, no, no pipe Kitsune, <laughs> but there is one <laughs> other interesting thing about the Kitsune heritages that we have here. So mm -hmm. um, the Kitsune have inherently an ability to change shape between right their true form, which is their Kitsune form, and a humanoid form, which always looks the same. So you always look like the same human man or whatever. But the heritage determines exactly what your true form looks like. Depending on which heritage you take, you might look like an anthropomorphic fox person that you're kind of used to seeing with Kitsune person. Or if you take a different heritage, you turn into something that looks more like Dashi, uh, the uh, the iconic which is familiar mm -hmm. uh if you look at the advanced players guide cover you might end up looking something like that instead of uh, a, a big fox person depending on which heritage you take you might end up like tiny little fox person yeah you can be a tiny fox person if you prefer to, to look like that more so than than a a walking fox person how about big gigantic fox person 
I think you just cast enlarge on yourself and you got that. Coming. This works. <laughs> I like this. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take. Um, I'll take enlarge. I, yeah, there might even be like a high level feat that lets you turn into the giant, ridiculous killer fox form if you Ooh. want. But yeah, that kind of makes sense because uh, James Case did write that one high level feat for the Tingu, where they just turn into gigantic Oni Tingu out of nowhere. Yeah. So I think there's a similar <laughs> similar feat in that vein here for the Kitsune. All right. Jay Bowman twelve thousand says, "Is there a uh, is the challenge of finding appropriate treasure for hordes of tiny PCs addressed, or in this case, giant fox people? Just basically, we've got a lot of different body mm -hmm. types, we've got a lot of different sizes coming at us in the ancestry guide. Is treasure addressed? There is a a, a sidebar that talks about being a tiny adventurer and what that all entails. Uh, there's actually two sidebars about that. One is how do I ride in my buddy's pocket all day and do all the work for me. <laughs> uh, so I can just hang out in there and fling spells from there. Uh, and the other one is dealing with uh, playing as a tiny NPC, what it means for your reach, what it means for uh, your equipment and stuff like that. We talk about the price of, of tiny equipment. For the most part, the game already has that taken care of. Mm -hmm. Runes can transfer between all equipment interchangeably. Uh, we don't I don't think we say that there's a specific size for anything that isn't a weapon or armor that so i think you can just assume that i find a hat of disguise it becomes a tiny hat of disguise for me uh, when i put it on uh and for the most part you only really have to worry about spending some of your uh hard-earned first level silver to get a tiny version of your weapon early on and can then just bring on whatever runes you find so if you find a plus one armor that is medium size you can just say all right i'm going to take that to the, the smith in town and bring, move that rune over to my tiny uh, armor instead. Or so just keep... like pulling on this thread until it gets smaller and smaller. Yes. And... <laughs> yep. so, so speaking... Send it through the wash a couple of times <laughs> and let it shrink. So speaking of riding in your friend's pocket, can you do the full-on Master Blaster? Yeah, it, it's totally in there. There's, there's rules for it. It kind of weirdly is like a mix of the minion rules and, and, and like <laughs> the animal riding rules. So... <laughs> Hopping into your buddy's pocket doesn't necessarily mean you get to take advantage of all three of his actions to move around and then you get all three of your actions. You kind of mix yours into a pool. You have your initiative count at the same time and kind of work together. Um, but if you don't want to lose your actions, you can definitely step out of that pocket and work on your own. So a Greek cavalier could choose the barbarian in the party as his mount? Yeah, absolutely. Sure, why not? <laughs> now, will the mount listen? I don't know, but you can definitely have one. That's what ride checks are for. Uh, KitKit Games wants to know about Android uh, Ooh. heritages. Ooh, Android. Okay, I've talked about these on a different interview that I've talked about, so I don't oh, feel well, bad about revealing these because uh, not everyone catches every single interview that I've been in. Um, Android heritages are really interesting. Uh, we wanted to have something that... It, it's hard to have an, a, a heritage because you're just pre-built in a pod. How do you express a heritage? But I, I, I think I had some ideas and I, I, I tossed them over to our freelancer, Jessica Catalan, and she, again, ran with them and knocked it out of the park because all of our authors are just amazing with the work that we give them. Um, and the ideas here are you are a Androphin android, which is basically the standard android that wants to learn more about their heritage and their past from a crashed spaceship in Numeria that happens to create a lot of androids. And there's something like the Chasm android, which is, hey, remember that spaceship that I just mentioned? It crashed directly into the ground and that front end is in the Darklands and a bunch of the androids spilled out into there and they had to learn how to adapt to live in the Darklands. So a Chasm android over time has upgraded themselves to have a thinner frame and long kind of wiry arms and big eyes mm. to take in more light. And they look really weird. They look like any other monster you'd find in Darklands because they needed to adapt to the weird environment. And then we also have uh, one other one that I really like is what I call the, the mini soul uh, android, which you have living tiny machines in you, your nanites as an android. Maybe they're more intelligent than, than you realize. And the mini soul android has a connection with their nanites in such a way that they kind of communicate as a, a symbiotic pair and just a very interesting take on, on on what androids are doing here and the, the some of the the mini soul androids even have like intentional holes in their bodies that they let their nanites spill out sometimes to like go out and do stuff in the world 
like a medium-sized Voltron. Yeah, it's 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 really weird stuff that I think is really super sci-fi because it's an android. You got to do it, and why not? Let's lean into it, and hopefully, you know that enough people like those, and maybe we can use that as inspiration for similar stuff in Starfinder as well. So we are coming to a close, but we do have time for at least this question. Jay Franklin sure. 3000 wants to know, are there any new Lost Omen books being announced at Gen Con? And if so, at what panel? I don't think we're announcing anything at the moment. There are so many cons and stuff throughout the year at this point that rather than clumping them, all of our announcements into to, uh, one con or two cons a year, we'd, we'd like to spread them out more. So this year we announced Secrets of Magic for, for the rulebook line. We're going to let people... Uh, chew on that for a while and get excited on that for a bit and then our next big con uh, we might start talking about the next ap or the next lost omens book so for now be excited about the ancestry guide be excited about uh, pathfinder society guide and then look into the legends uh when, when you get a chance and mm -hmm. can you just remind us when each of those books is coming out sure lost omens legends is available now uh mm -hmm. you can go buy that now uh if you have a game store that is open and you can safely get that you can go there or you can buy it through paizo.com the uh, Pathfinder Society Guide is set to come out in September, so not too long from now, I think late September, and the Ancestry Guide is scheduled for February of 2021. And what about that rumored, or not rumored, but like the announced Absalom book? When is that uh, expected out now? Um, that book is not something that Eleanor and I are working on at the moment, so we've actually lost track of where that is. I think last I heard Eric Mona mentioned something for late 2020 or trying to shoot for early 2021. Mm -hmm. So hopefully in the next several months but at the very least in the next several months we can hopefully give you a, a more concrete date on that and for those of you curious about the just mentioned uh pathfinder society guide stay tuned after the break we will be having a panel just about that specific book in particular all right everyone we need to be getting ready for that next panel so we're going to sign off here and uh, when we come back it will be with the Pathfinder Lost Omens Pathfinder Society book. See you all soon. Bye. The No Direction Network's PaizoCon Online 2020 seminar coverage was made possible by the KDCon team, consisting of Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param, Ryan Costello, Alexander Agunas, Monica Marlowe, Vanessa Hoskins, Dustin Knight, and Andrew Sturtevant. For more great Pathfinder, Starfinder, and other RPG news, reviews, podcasts, and blogs, check out NoDirectionPodcast.com. <laughs>